We're a curious bunch here at Six Black Pens. We love beautiful, brilliant creative, but we want to know why it works, what people think, what moves them, and what makes them behave the way they do. We're about the art and the science of communications. In our Inquisitive Minds series, we'll be looking at creative and beyond it, digging into psyches and mindsets and data and all the things that shape the decisions customers make. We think with a little bit of smarts, we can uncover a whole lot of insights. So today I'm talking to Six Black Pens Head of Strategy, Emma Byrne, about looking beyond data at the real people who, you know, lurk beneath demographics. I think we all want more tailored and personalised communications for our customers. That's an absolute given. That's the current war cry around the world of marketing. But how do you transition, you know, from information into actual insight? That is the big question. And I guess I want to start with the most obvious question, Emma, which is why does this even matter? What do we actually achieve with, you know, sharper and more tailored communications? Well, I would say that first and foremost, when you've got sharper communication, it's the communication that's going to deliver on its goals. So what you what we're really trying to do is we're trying to create communication that hits the mark. And the more tailored we can be, uh, the more we can do that and the more we can deliver on that communication. And, you know, the, the other effect of that is it creates more efficiency and, and therefore more cut through. So when you deliver something more tailored, you're delivering something with a narrower, tighter benefit, which is, you know, really working against the right person. And that makes it much more um, efficient for the brand and also the customer. And one of the reasons it's making it more efficient for the customer is that you're effectively creating uh, shortcuts to make things easier for them. And of course, that's something that we always want to do. The more we do that, the more we can engage them. So, you know, we're, we're trying to find the relevant insight for the customer. And, you know, that creates real value because it resonates more and it also respects the customer. So we're delivering the relevant communication to them, something that they can really identify with that really resonates with them. And that has the knock-on effect of encouraging them to trust the brand you know they really get the sense that this is a brand that knows me that understands me that it's it's right for me and and this is just you know a, another effect of that sharper communication and then at the end of that you know that allows us to nudge behavior more effectively and of course that is the end game of what we try to do we try to influence not just how people think and, and what they think but um, how they behave and I think you know when we can be a lot sharper and more tailored that shows that we understand the different triggers and barriers that affect people. Now Emma I mean that all sounds absolutely fantastic you know everyone's on board with sharper more tailored communication of course but it seems that there's this almost default practice of focusing on demographic and data. And I think there are some potential pitfalls around that. And I know that you think that too. Can you talk through some of those pitfalls and what can be problematic when you lean into demographic too much? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, there is this tendency to default to demographics. And, you know, quite often a target audience would be classed by generation. So we might say we're talking to baby boomers or Generation X or millennials, you know, and obviously Gen Z is coming up now. But what happens with that is that we're making assumptions based on people's age. And that can quite often mean that they're getting treated 
like a homogenous whole, which is not useful for us with communication. So I'll give you an example of that. So the classic one is is probably the way that over 50s get targeted and spoken to an age set and a generation. And as a result, they quite often feel misrepresented because they're spoken to as if they're all exactly the same because advertisers are just looking at their their age. So you're talking here, Ems, about, you know, a white-haired person walking down a beach with a cardigan flung over their shoulders. <laughs> Eating Werther's Originals, exactly. Yeah, all these assumptions are made as if they're all exactly the same people. So the kind of, you know, at the end of the day, they feel like they're sort of ignored because they've been misrepresented and people aren't, you know, advertisers aren't really understanding what they're about because they're just looking at their age and they're looking at the mindset or the different lifestyle or the life stage that they're at. Um, you know, because the fact is people can be the same age, but they will be completely different. Classic example of that is, you know, say Prince Charles and Ozzy Osbourne. So on paper, they are demographically identical. So born in the same year, both had married twice, they both have a couple of kids, you know, there's many things that make them the same on paper, but obviously they're completely different as people, Um, you know, different attitudes, very different lifestyles. So that just gives you an example how just to look at age would be completely misleading. So, you know, you have got that danger with the older age group, as you just pointed out, that they're getting sort of portrayed quite often in a sort of nostalgic way, rather than something that's reflective of today's reality for, you know, today's 50 something. So, you know, you see it a lot in retirement village advertising, you know, you, you do see the cliche of like all of the so-called old people, you know, and 55 is the is the start age for, for retirement villages, which is incredibly young. And, you know, what you see is the sort of the, the cliche of the, you know, playing lawn bowls, etc. But, you know, predominantly, you know, they are this baby boomer target, but there are very different mindsets within baby boomers. I mean, you could be a 65-year-old boomer looking for a new lease of life, or you could be 75 or 80 looking to to wind down. You know, they're, they're very different people, uh, lots of different life stages and mindsets there. They're, they're just not the same people. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Emma, because I can see how on one hand there's a this extreme cliche of, of the lawn bowler and on the other hand, you know, in advertising we now see this new extreme cliche that every older person is a surfing silver fox. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's a lady parachuting in her 60s because, you know, that, that represents her new lease on life. So there's danger in both cliches. There, there completely is, yeah. You, you're right. You know, you, what you don't want to do is go too far in the other direction and make this assumption that, like you say, they're like these, these silver foxes on a surfboard or they're, they're doing something crazy and that's not sort of representative either. So it's, yeah, it's a real danger sort of not going to those extremes and not going to those cliches that, you know, people have made assumptions about. Is your point here, Em, that there's, there's so much more nuance that data doesn't capture? Absolutely. There's lots of nuance and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. You know, I think understanding your, your target group and really sort of digging beneath the surface and, and really understanding what's going on from an attitudinal point of view is really the only way to, to get around that. You know, I, I've talked about older people as an example. Millennials get the same treatment and we see that more and more. You know, there's a, an awful lot of campaigns that focus on millennials as if they are one homogenous group. But they're not. And often that we've got these stereotypes of, you know, they're really young and they're, you, you can only engage with them digitally rather than face to face. They're complacent. They're self-centered. You know, they, they don't have the same work ethic as other generations. But you have to remember, this is a generation of got incredibly diverse life stages. You've got, you know, there's a big difference between a 24 year old student living their, their best single life 
and a 40-year-old working mum who's got a family and she's got, you know, a, a different set of responsibilities. You know, these are both millennials, but they're, you know, different ends of the spectrum. So you do need to find that way of connecting beyond those assumptions about uh, generation. So, Emma, let's unpack a little bit how we can avoid these, these pitfalls. What kind of tools can we use to make sure that we are looking beyond demographic, that we are nuanced enough to actually create a meaningful connection? So I think, as I said before, I think first and foremost, it comes down to doing your research up front. You, you really need to try and understand your target and, and not just at a demographic level, but, you know, what are the different mindsets? Where are they attitudinally? What, where is the, the breadth of that within the target audience? You know, we've seen examples do that. So there's a, an insurance brand in the UK called Sun Life, and they were looking to talk to the over 50s market. And the first thing they did was to undertake a research study on the target audience so they could really understand all of those different attitudes and mindsets and really understand the target um, at a deeper level. And they, what they did off the back of that was they created a campaign called Welcome to Life After 50, which really challenged the stereotypes that we were just talking about. So the, the sort of the lawn bowls, sort of like, you know, a older stereotype. Um, and what they did was they showcased the different behavior and the different attitudes that exist more broadly across that group. Now, you might argue, because there was a lot of hyperbole in that campaign, you might argue that it, you know, it, it could go too far down the sort of extreme route. And they were looking to exaggerate to make the point. But what they were really trying to do with that campaign was to, to challenge the stereotype and hence the name of it, you know, there is life after 50. So welcome to life after 50 as the, as the campaign tag. So that's um, just an example of when you do your research right and you really try and challenge what the norm is. The other thing is important to do is to identify a common need. So a really nice example of that is if you think about what Coca-Cola did with Share a Coke. So they really understood with this campaign. So this was, you know, by and large, uh, inverted commas, millennial targeted campaign, but they understood that millennials, as we just said, are not one uniform group. So what they did was they could, they managed to identify a common mindset, which to be fair, was shaped by the age that they've grown up in, but it, it helped them to tap into something and, and target uh, millennials more effectively because it was a more common mindset which got beyond the sort of the more shallow cosmetic impressions of millennials. So in this case, um, what they identified was the need for connection and personalization. So those are the, the traits amongst uh, millennials that as a diverse generation, it, it really unites them. And that's exactly what Sherry Coke tapped into. And it, as we know, it was a hugely successful campaign. So what I'm hearing, Emma, is that, yes, demographic, demographics are important, but what we need to understand are the different mindsets and attitudes that can actually be crucial overlays yeah. to demographics. Demographics alone aren't going to get the job done of connecting with the, with the customer base. Absolutely. So, you know, as you say, they are crucial overlays. You know, it, it's not enough just to, to know that sort of basic information. You have to understand, you know, what's going on beyond so you're working with some sort of insight. But the other interesting piece to this is that there are, beyond that, there are, in fact, some behavioral factors that actually are an intrinsic function of age and, and context, amongst other things. And when you understand some of those behavioral factors, that can help determine the best way to deliver targeted messaging in line with some behavioral tendencies. So it's really sort of looking at both. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of, of what I mean here. So... 
having said that obviously there are diverse mindsets amongst say an, an older target there is you know the the fact of the common reality that as we age there is cognitive decline now it doesn't really matter what your mindset or your attitude is that is a, a physical reality which does unite um you know a, a lot of older customers I'd like to think I'm bucking that trend. Well, I am I'm absolutely sure you are. And you know what? Many people do. But by and large, there is some of that uh, cognitive decline that, that exists. So that really can affect the ways that we execute against that older target. So it might be that we have differing content, which is based on mindsets. Executionally, we need to think about how clearly we can communicate uh, with them. So what are the anchors or the reference points that we're using? How clear can we make that? Are we giving them any mental shortcuts to work with? How can we make sure that we enhance cognitive ease in our communication so we really land the messages against that target audience? Now, conversely, for a younger teen audience, for example, we know from research that they, you know, for, for various evolutionary reasons, they are driven by peers interactions and relationships because their brains are very sensitive to rewards and particularly social rewards. That's really important to a, a younger audience and specifically a teenager. So when you look at communication, you know, it's interesting to look at comms that can tap into the authority of an influencer, for example, or look at the behavior of their peers, tap into some social norms that can really target that need for social rewards. So you've really got a combination of things uh, going on. So it, it's really important from a content point of view to understand, you know, what their life stage and mindset is so we can really tailor messages. But it's also possible to integrate some nudges that can really execute in a way that targets some of these hardwired demographic driven behaviours. So what, what are some examples of some of those nudges, Emma? So some of the nudges, those are a couple of the nudges that we have talked about. So the way you frame something, so if you frame it in relation to the younger audience, you know, tapping into those those social norms. And then, as we said, for, for the older people, those those nudges again, so creating heuristics, which are these mental shortcuts. So, you know, are there um, sort of rules of thumb that we can use to make things easier, uh, like an easier get, you know, those are the sorts of things, the way we frame communication, the way we make it easier to understand the way we, for example, chunk out information to make it more cognitively easy. Those are the sorts of things that we can use to execute, albeit across different content, which has been shaped by the, the insights that we have around their, their mindsets and their attitudes. So you've been in the game for a long time, although you don't look it. What brands do you think really do this well? Who's really nailed an understanding that customers are more than numbers, they're more than data, they are demographic plus insight, it's all about connection? I think there's a few brands that do it really well. And, and those are the brands who, you know, they manage to create the communications which are really based on insight and they, they manage to transcend product and category and also sort of the demographics of the, the target audience at any given life stage. So really they are the brands that identify, you know, the basic essential mindset. So there's a, you know, many of the great brands do that. You know, a couple of examples I would quote, first one being Red Bull. So that is a really classic example of a brand that completely understands how to sell beyond their category. So they're surrounded by 
brands that they're all energy drink brands, but they're they're targeting a similar target market. They're, they're saying similar things. But Red Bull, I think, understands that they're selling more than just an energy hit. Their marketing is freedom to people. Uh, they're looking to inspire people to pursue their dreams. So it's really, it's much bigger what they're talking to. They really are going beyond product. And they also go beyond the, the typical energy drink user. So what you'd often find within energy drinks is they'll be targeting younger males. So if you think about Monster and those sorts of brands, there is a sort of a typical sports adrenaline junkie gamers you know that's quite often the the target audience for energy drinks but you know what red bull does i mean they they do certainly deliver to adrenaline junkies but they go further than that they go further than extreme sports and all of that even though they they cater for it what's interesting about them is that they kind of behave more like a publisher of of content rather than a typical advertiser so they they tap into that sort of essential desire to you know to be free and to to aim high and you know they inspire people in many different ways so they do it through sports games magazines films tv they have many different outlets but all predicated on the fact that they really go deeper than just the product then another example i'd quote which behaves in quite a similar way would be nike you know nike have always sold more than sneakers they sell a philosophy. So what they're doing is targeting a mindset of athletic achievement. So it's it's not about the demographic of being an athlete. It's, it's not about that. And, you know, their Find Your Greatness campaign is a, a really great example. So it really brings to life this idea of inspiring their audience to achieve their, their goals. And that fits completely in with Nike's belief that if you have a body, you are an athlete. It's very clever, isn't it? I mean, it's it's trying to obviously broaden their their customer base because if they just focused on people who are athletes you're going to enormously limit your revenue possibilities exactly you know it's it's very niche and you know they've always been about more than that and it's it's a far more inspirational brand than that and i think you know those two brands they they really understand essentially what they're tapping into with people and that spans every generation every demographic so it would be fair to say then in the case of nike that if they were focusing just on on demographics they'd probably just be focused on a very young audience as opposed to focusing on the idea of mindset anyone who has a body is an athlete it would be a, yeah it would be a young audience it would be a, a very fit and athletic audience but you know they go way beyond that and and they create mass appeal and you know that's the secret of, of their success really is that they are inspiring at that level. So there's one at Six Pack Pens, there's one major Australian bank that we work with where we've really, you know, we really did the work, the planning stage to, to really get under the skin of who the target market was and what was driving them and what was driving their financial behavior. And one of the campaigns, we recognize that financial behavior is driven in this particular category within the market. When it comes to, you know, paying off loans, behavior is driven by mortgage balance rather than your age. So it doesn't make sense to talk to somebody's age. You know, that's not going to prompt behavior. What it makes sense to do is to look at where they are in the journey of, of paying down their loan. So what we did to that was we created um, segments with accompanying personas based on 
financial attitude and behavior, but it was linked to their mortgage pay down stage. And then having done that strategy work, we ran a tailored campaign that would reward these customers for paying off their, their mortgage and would inspire them to decide and plan for what they wanted to achieve next. So it really took into account, you know, a very specific life stage within their finances as opposed to their own life stage. Oh, so that's really interesting. So what you're, what you're saying there is when you've got $200,000 to go on your mortgage, your financial behavior is going to be very different to when you have $10,000 to go. doesn't matter what your age is. What matters is your, is your pay down balance. And then presumably your communications were then tailored to, to that financial situation yeah, and reality. Yeah, absolutely it was because that was really the, the salient feature which was determining uh, how they were going to respond to communications and um, what we wanted them to to do what their behavior was likely to be. So that was absolutely the premise that we went in. Like you say, it wouldn't have made sense to target it by age. That just was not going to direct behavior. So, you know, that was an example of how we've really sort of like within that stage of planning understood what we're dealing with there. And, you know, we've done other examples for major banks where we've looked at home loan attitudes and, you know, different behaviors and we've created different personas for that. And then we have personalized communication, like direct communication, which is going to be, which talks directly and specifically to that behavior and those different needs. And that's all in the, you know, with the aim of engaging better with those different groups. So Emma, what are the key principles that you think are most helpful in delivering sharper, you know, smarter communications? You know, I'm sold. I just want to know, how can we boil it down? I think I would bring it down to probably four key principles. So the first one would be, and you know, what we talked about right at the start was like, we've got to avoid the assumptions and the cliches. It's it's just, it's not enough to make an assumption about a, an age group that, that everybody's the same and to create communications based on that. That is the the first watch out. I think one of the other things that we've talked about here as well is really considering what the specific nudges could be that are tailored to our to our different uh different groups and to you know can really um influence the behavior according to you know who these people are and you know what they think and feel and you know and how they're programmed to behave i think what we've talked about as well i think what came through and we we looked at some of those um, other brands is these are brands that surfaced a genuine insight and they were really able to, um, to develop the messaging that, that would target that insight as opposed to anything more superficial than that. So I think, you know, finding that insight, doing your research to find that insight is key. And then I think what we've just talked about as a, a final principle, I think it's, you know, really developing a useful segmentation strategy. That's absolutely crucial. That's really the, the sort of the final part to it. And that, you know, summarizes who we're going to talk to and, and what we're going to base the communication on. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for your inquisitive mind. It's been wonderful talking about how we can move beyond demographics and beyond data into real insight and actually marry those two things together. You know, personally, I think that makes for far more compelling communications. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in hearing more, our contact details are in the show notes.